0: Well, I've decided that today is the last day that I'm going to deal with the applications of the ministry of Paul to the city of Thessalonica, and tomorrow we're going to get into the body of the text. But as you know, we first laid the foundation by going through the history of how Paul came to Thessalonica. We saw that he had a strategy in mind, that he focused upon large cities as a way to get the gospel to the small cities whereas if he had spent his time and labors in small rural areas villages and out of the way places that probably would not have gotten the gospel into the cities that that wasn't as good a strategy as planting churches in large cities so paul had a strategy that had to do with where was the best place to preach the gospel to make it most likely that it would spread to other places and Paul did that. He he employed that strategy very effectively. To the extent that he could say one time that he he had fulfilled his entire mission in every place that he'd been, and he'd run out of places to go. And they'd say, wait a minute, the, the, the places you've been, Paul, in in Asia and in uh, in the Greek Peninsula, and. That you you haven't. There's no way that you preach the gospel in every place. There's no way that everybody's heard the gospel. You can't you can't accomplish that in a lifetime. How can you say that you have com- completed your responsibility here, and now you're looking for some place else to go because there's no place else. You, you've finished the job. Only when you view it through this strategy that I have suggested, that once Paul had planted the gospel by way of evangelism and church planting. In the strategic metropolitan areas of Asia and of Greece, then his job was done. Now, they had the responsibility and the mo- the best opportunity to spread the gospel from those metropolitan centers to other places until the whole area be covered with the gospel. So he had done his job. Now he's thinking about going on to places where that hasn't been done yet. Like Spain, we don't have any indication that he ever got there, but that was his plan. So, Paul strategized for the gospel, but we've got to be careful how we do that, lest we convince ourselves that it's okay to change the gospel message wrong. Lest we convince ourselves that what we really need to do is get involved in politics wrong. That's the one I left off yesterday, and we'll finish that one out today and then get into the body of the text. But thank you for joining me on this Wednesday, February 21, and thank you for considering the financial help that we need to continue teaching God's Word on this station. All right, politics. Paul used, just very briefly, remember, Paul used his Roman citizenship in Philippi and other places, but Philippi is the background to Thessalonica, to serve gospel purposes. To protect the Christians in Philippi, he was very shrewd in first not bringing up his Roman citizenship so that he let the magistrates commit a crime against Roman citizens by beating him and throwing him in jail without a trial, and then telling them that he was a Roman citizen so that they realized that they had committed a crime. Uh oh, we had no idea. You can almost hear them saying, why didn't you tell us before? We wouldn't have beat you if we'd known that. But Paul didn't do that because he's using his citizenship most strategically for the gospel. It's not for personal gain. He's not sparing himself a beating. He is strategizing for the gospel. But never, ever did Paul change the gospel message in order to make it more popular, more acceptable, more, quote, successful. You can't do that. That can't be done. And when it comes to politics, Paul did use his political privileges, his Roman citizenship, to serve gospel purposes, but he did not involve himself in the active area of politics in order to try to solve societal problems. He didn't start a campaign to get the government to address poverty. He did not start a campaign to get the government to to eliminate slavery. Well, isn't slavery wrong? Yes, but you see, those are political matters that are better better addressed and more more properly and and effectively addressed by preaching the gospel. When people become true born-again Christians, so many of these injustices dry up. They go away. But only the gospel has the power to do that. Because sinful men and women unconverted, are always going to mess things up, even if they're trying to make things better. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're just pretending to for some particular advantage. But even if they're trying to make things better, they don't know how. They don't have spiritual insight. They don't have a relationship with God. They don't really understand what the Bible is saying. They just snatch a few verses out here and there that seem to... to justify what they want to do, but they ignore most of what the Bible says. That's not the way to do it. You you need to preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and it has the power to change men's lives, change their hearts, change their minds, change their thinking, change the way they act. That'll do it. That'll do it. The gospel. Proclaimed and received in the power of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that really brings about changes in culture, brings about real social justice in this world. But I may mention one more application before we leave this behind and move on to our text. And that is what I will call lessons about the gospel and personal fulfillment. Now everyone has certain longings and desires. Everybody would rather have a peaceful community to live in than one that is racked by riots and uprisings and and uh mayhem. Everyone has a desire for prosperity. They'd rather live in a prosperous community than a poverty-ridden one. Everybody has a desire for well-being. But these longings, which are found in the hearts of all people to some degree, and they're more than that, I just mentioned a few, are not, not something for Christians to use as gospel bait. And that's the way it's often used. Such as, do you want more joy in your life? Come to Jesus. He'll give you joy. Do you want more peace? Come to Jesus. He promises peace. you want healing? Come to Jesus. He promises to heal. you want prosperity? Come to Jesus. He promises prosperity. Do you want to solve your uh, marriage problems and other conflict problems? Come to Jesus. He'll solve your problems. And these things that people desire because they know something's wrong in, in this world where everybody's a sinner and where the whole world is under the curse of sin, of course, there are many things that are wrong and will never become anything but wrong as long as men and women are unwilling to yield to the rightful ruler and savior of this world, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't succeed in truly making conversions, making converts out of people, which only the Holy Spirit is able to do, by using these things as gospel bait. The real issue of why people need Christ is not so they can have more joy, more peace, more prosperity, more of other things that that will make them feel better, make them live better, and so forth as they, as they view it, which in, in most cases they're not even correct about that. But the real issue is their sin and God's wrath and the judgment they face because of their sin. For this we do go to First Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 10 of chapter 1 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from, what's the next phrase? The wrath to come. Not delivers us from Poverty not delivers us from unhappiness, not delivers us from fill-in-the-blank, the various things that people use for gospel bait. That's not what Jesus came for. Remember the Jesus was preaching one day, and when he finished preaching about covetousness of all things, somebody in his audience who obviously wasn't really listening to what he said, certainly wasn't applying it to their life, spoke up and said, "'Master, make my brother divide the inheritance with me.'" Well, there's an injustice. Evidently, we we don't really know the whole story, but evidently, one brother had cut his other brother out of the inheritance or had not divided it properly, had kept a bigger portion for himself than he was supposed to. He'd, he'd done something that was unjust. "'Master, make my brother divide the inheritance with me.'" And Jesus said, in effect, that's not what I came to do. Well, why not? That's an injustice. Aren't you here to create justice? Well, yes and no. <clears throat> the only way to do it is to change people's hearts. Your brother's still going to be grasping and greedy and covetous and, and um, unprincipled, Even if I make him divide the inheritance with you, he'll just go on being the same way. And by the way, you'll still be grasping and covetous and unprincipled, even if you get the inheritance that is coming to you, or that you think is. Because if your heart isn't changed, it really doesn't change anything. You'll just get a little bit more money, but you haven't changed your sinful desires. You haven't acknowledged your need of Christ. You are going to go on your way, and you're going to go to hell. What you need is to recognize your sin and the judgment that awaits you when Jesus comes to save us, to deliver us from the wrath to come, not to deliver us from poverty and ill health and all of these things that we would like to be delivered from, of course. So, when we're talking about the gospel and personal fulfillment, we realize that in a proper presentation of the gospel, Christ must be seen as the Savior from sin, not the bestower of material and social benefits. And this is where the social gospel goes awry. It wants to address all of these societal injustices. It wants to bring about better social benefits. And it's missing the point. All of that is going to be addressed at the proper time. When Christ comes to judge the ungodly and to bring in his kingdom for with his people, There will be perfect justice. There will be peace. There will be unending joy. There will be no more pain and tears and death and sorrow. All of these things are going to be addressed. They're all going to be changed. But not by appealing to the need for personal or the desire for personal fulfillment. We've got to preach the gospel that he comes to save us from our sins. Until tomorrow, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you His eternal peace.